0: Well, one week ago, uh, my wife did what she always does on Sunday morning. In the early morning darkness, she brought me a cup of coffee in bed, and, and, and last week she cupped my face with her hands, and she said, happy birthday, preacher. You get to go to church and preach on money. But uh, today, I'm off the hook there, and I'm glad. Uh, we starting a new series, Daniel Stole My Thunder. Uh, it's called Legacy, and it's real simple. In these four weeks of November, we're going to look at four Characters from the Bible, and we're going to glean lessons from their lives—the how-to's and the how-not-to's. Y'all want to know what for? We're going to look at. Anybody want to know? Uh, we're going to look at Solomon, and we're going to look at Adam. You ever heard a sermon uh, just on Adam? We're going to look at Ruth, and we're going to look at James. And again, learning lessons. Hebrews thirteen says to to consider you know, your leaders and uh, to imitate their faith, and uh, consider the outcome of their lives. And so today, a lot of not-to's when it comes to our guy Solomon. In fact, um, it's been said, I know you heard this, whether it's in a race or in marriage or life in general, uh, what really matters is not how you start, but it's how you finish. And none of us controlled how it started, by the way. Think about the sovereign foundations of your life, your very existence. I'll say it again, none of us controlled how it started. But I think all of us have a good bit to say about how it will finish. And the first lesson that we can learn from our guy Solomon is that you can come, this is freeing for you, I think, you can come from a messed up family, and God still will want to use you. How many of you, let's not say messed up, because that's kind of mean, but how many of you come from an imperfect uh, family? Anybody from, a, you would just acknowledge, hey, an imperfect family? Uh, that's, I hail from an, imp, babe. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, you say, imperfect family, and look, isn't it freeing to know, and here's Samson, if you feel bad about your family uh, today, or maybe the person is not here in your family, not at church with you today, uh, let me give you a quick little rundown from uh, from the life of Solomon. Uh, you know, uh, he's David's son, his mama was Bathsheba, you know, the, that story of adultery and conception that led to, to murder on the battlefield, but there's this uh, older half-brother that he has, Amnon, a, a son of David, and Amnon, um, is he uh, violates the half-sister and the second oldest half-brother kills the oldest half-brother. And uh, his name is Absalom and he takes out Amnon. And Absalom, uh, kind of famous um, in regards to stories even outside of the Bible. Uh, Shakespeare and others have written about him. But uh, Absalom um, desires the throne and David has a general who's very loyal. Loyalty is a good thing, isn't it? Uh, but David has a a, a guy named uh, Joab who's super loyal and he takes out Absalom to David's regret David didn't want that even though he was uh, vying for supremacy vying for the throne and he uh, cries out oh son, oh Absalom Absalom my son Absalom I would rather have died than you and when we get to this other son the dysfunction continues uh, this will make you feel good about your family now Adon- Adonijah whose mother was Haggith put himself forward he's ambitious and said I will be king So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Let me stop as I did in the first service because this is just too good. It's in parentheses uh, and we may think it's a parenthetical unimportant thought. But to me, this is vital to preach today. Again, in parentheses, but I think paramount. Uh, here's David who we know would be called a man after God's own heart. We did a whole series on David one time. I think it was eight weeks long. We called it a flawed hero because he was both. And, but we see one of the flaws in this man after God's own heart that and our world needs us. Our world is crying out for fathers who are present and active, not passive and indifferent. And we see a dad who should have spoken up in the moment. He should have rebuked. He should have reprimanded his son, but he didn't do it. We need dads around the room. If you're a dad with young ones or if you're going to be a dad one day, we need you. Your family needs you. Society needs you to speak into that. And a whole lot of messed upness will be prevented. A lot of dysfunction could be thwarted. But David was, though present, he was passive and indifferent to the situation So uh, this guy desires the throne, but David had made a promise to the woman he committed adultery with, Bathsheba, and had that husband murdered in battle. He made a promise to Bathsheba that Solomon would be king, but this guy uh, is aspiring to be a king, and so he knew he would have to kill Solomon, so Solomon has uh, Adonijah executed. Uh, I think the justice system uh, prevailed that day. It was self-defense. And so David, I'm sorry, Solomon takes the throne as was promised and prophesied. Solomon takes the throne and at the time he's young, he's handsome, he's energetic, and he is devoted to the task at hand. Uh, there's a, early in his administration, if you will, they get what any president, any king would want. Uh, he knows, the nation of Israel knows economic prosperity. They know national security. If there were midterm elections, uh, they would clean the, uh, the other party's clock Uh, so to speak. But here's this uh, famous uh, passage that you may know. Uh, It's a dream at Gibeon, not far from Jerusalem. Solomon uh, goes to Gibeon to worship God. Here's a young king who knows that he needs God, and he goes to worship, and God appears to him in a dream, and this is how it kind of went down. Solomon answered God when God said, hey, grant me any wish. This isn't like a preacher genie in a bottle joke. This is God appearing to Solomon in a dream, saying, hey, I'll give you something. What, What do you want? And by the way, what would you ask God What would you ask of God if he said, give me, I'll give you one thing? Solomon answered God and said, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Wow, what a sense of joy. What a sense of the moment. Solomon says, now God, you have made your servant king. In other words, David was a servant king. I want to be like my dad. I want to be a king, all right? But I want to be a servant king. I want to be a good king. I want to reign well. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. He was very, very young. As I said, he was very handsome. He was very energetic. He was very devoted. And he had a sense of God's placement in his life. He saw the sovereign foundations. He saw the great grace of God. He saw others vying for supremacy but he knew that God had this for him, and he knows that he can't do it on his own. And can I say, what a great principle. If you're at a place in your life, let me stop here. We're talking about legacy, multiple lessons we can learn from these people in these weeks. But as we look at Solomon today in this part of the story, can I just say, if you're at a place where you feel adequate, that's probably not the place God's calling you to. If you're in a place where you're, you're sitting there going, hey, I got this. I got this. I got the resources. I got the creativity and the ingenuity. I got the skill set, man. I did strength finders. I did my Enneagram number. It all lines up. The stars are lined up. I got this. Step out and watch me work. That's probably your kingdom and your glory. And I would say to you, based on this book and my study of it for some 40-something years, that's not God's will for your life. And so give props to Solomon. Uh, Despite a messed up family, uh, he starts pretty strong. And he starts saying, God, I can't do this. Um, I need wisdom. I need your wisdom. I'm just a child. I'm very inadequate for this task. What a great prayer. Can I just say on the other side of that, on the flip side, that's the prayer God honors. When you say, oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, I God, I need you now. That's a prayer that he hears. And God desires to move into that space and work in your life when you know that you're not adequate. And so that's where our boy, that's where Solomon is. So early in his administration, there's a story that I bet some of you've heard. There are two women come to him for his great wisdom. They come to him and they both claim that this child is their own child. They both come to him. They're both prostitutes. They both make the claim that this child is my child. And they are fighting for custody over the child. Y'all, y'all know this story? Y'all know this is in the Bible? So Solomon, his wisdom, hears them and he hears the, the case and then... Um, one of the women, uh, she cries out, he, or he says to them, he says, well, you know what I'll do? To be fair, I'll just cut the baby in two and each of you will get a half. And one of the women cries out, her earnest plea, she cries out, oh no, uh, just king, and just, no, 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 let, let the, don't do this, don't tear the baby, let, this, let the other one have her. And Solomon in that moment, in his wisdom, realized that the mother that cried out is actually the mother and gave the baby boy to him. Now, I think it's interesting that the text tells us that these two women were prostitutes. And I think the Bible tells us their occupation because uh, those were the people in that day that never had a shot at justice. They never had a shot at kindness. No little girl back then grew up wanting to be a prostitute, just as no girl now grows up wanting to be a prostitute. But back then, there was, there was no cases. There was no, there was no sympathy. There was no justice for them. And I think we see early on, remember what we said, it's not how you start but how you finish? But so we see a good start with our guy Solomon. We see a real good start. And we see the servant in the servant king where he cares about people. Now the spectrum is broad. And let me say this. This is where uh, what the scripture says about him and his wisdom as he begins to reign. Um, Okay, yeah, let me. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? There's his prayer. There's his sense of inadequacy. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Anybody recognize that language? That's from Abraham's covenant in Genesis 12 and following. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east. I love this next part and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. We're getting into the trash talking p- m- m- moment of the story, including Ethan the Ezreite, w- wiser than He-Man. That's how you say that. Calco and Dard, the sons of Mahal and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke three thousand proverbs and his. Song numbered a thousand and five intellectual trash talk from the old testament you ain't swack I'm swack they were saying and so Solomon had the swack vibe going on and people were coming from all over so the prostitutes come in this famous story about the baby and then Queen Sheba you ever heard ever learned about Queen Sheba she uh, she came it says the, the text tells us that she came into Jerusalem with a caravan a great caravan she had camels and other uh animals and they were carrying spices and silver and gold and precious gems and such and she rolls into town And the bible tells us that she had a lot on her mind and she wanted to meet the smartest person in the world and get his wisdom she wanted to she wanted to stump him with hard questions and if anybody any of you are really really smart uh you know that people if they know you're smart they're going to try to stump you right they're gonna be like oh how smart is she how smart is, oh let's see if they can answer anybody smart here anybody been tested none of y'all okay yeah um anyway no that, that was Solomon so he had this reputation so the queen Sheba comes to him after the two prostitutes and she comes to him with her caravan and she tries to stump him she asks him the hardest uh, questions and here is what the text tells us in this story Solomon answered queen Sheba all her questions nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her y'all ever heard the expression mansplaining it's taken on a different meaning. Some of you are laughing here. Yeah, down with the patriarchy, right? Uh, it's, it's taken on a different meaning uh, today among women and liberation and all. And I'm, I'm down with it. Don't, don't hear me out. But mansplaining, I think, is what happens at the office. I think women feel when a man is over-explaining something and maybe looking down on them. But the original, maybe the pot, men look at mansplaining this way. Mansplaining is when I want to impress you with all that I know. And so I'm going to tell you everything I know. So Solomon was the original mansplainer here. So he explains to Queen she- Sheba what's up, and his fame uh, it just went around. Let's look at his trappings and what he had. The king had a fleet of trading ships at sea, along with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years, it returned. They were patient people. Once every three years, carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and I, this is my favorite part: and apes and baboons. I want to collect. I have not arrived in leadership and life and vocation. I, I don't have a collection of baboons. Uh, I just saw some in Africa, and our guide—not on the safari, but Brett was with us, our Reclaim Project director. He was at the 9:30 service, and Brett told Ty and I, "He's like, don't get near the baboons. These are—they're these are—they can be violent." So I bowed up once every three years. So uh, yeah, so he has baboons. It's—I it's, think that's awesome. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth because he had baboons. First kings 4 Solomon's daily provisions this is expensive stuff and this will be my next point Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cords of the finest flour and 60 cords of meal 10 head of stall fed cattle 20 of pasture fed cattle and 100 sheep and goats as well as deer gazelles robucks and choice fowl uh let's just say Solomon was not a vegetarian okay he didn't have any he didn't pray before any kale salads or tofu or anything like that so he wasn't a vegetarian but here's my point uh he had a lot of resources and it was, he was living lavishly. So if you live lavishly, nothing's wrong with wealth, okay? 1 Timothy 6, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. But what do your riches do? And so the lavish living, they started with wisdom. It led to prosperity. But at what point does complacency set in? At what point, because here's, here, there's a gap here between the rich and the poor. And that's always a problem in society. As a church in Jackson, Mississippi, I want to lead us, and I'm not really leading us. Other people are with more compassion and wisdom than me. But to look at our city and say there's something wrong if there's a growing gap between the rich and the poor. And what should we do about that? God's heart for the poor. Even when I was throwing up Leviticus and Deuteronomy last week, you see God's heart from the poor all throughout the scripture. And so there's this gap. And so the people are being taxed heavily. But the king is living this way. And so what point, at what point do we see the complacency setting in and the servant king, the servant of the servant king, beginning to wax and wane a, a little bit? Look at this. In the 11th year, in the month of the bull, the 8th month, the temple was finished in all of its details according to its specifications. He had spent seven years building it. Uh, some of you zone out. Anybody done, Bi- done a Bible reading plan? You start reading about the temple and all the specifications. Like, and you, I mean, even an architect or contractor kind of checks out of that. Well, David, or, I'm sorry, Solomon was building this k- temple that was promised, that was prophesied. He was he was walking in obedience. Uh, there were many nations who had many gods, but Israel had one God. Israel had one book. And how many temples did Israel build? They built one temple for their one God to worship. And that was, the, that's. The call of God on his life. But notice the very this is the last verse in chapter six of First Kings, the very next verse of chapter seven. First verse. It took Solomon thirteen years, however, to complete the construction of his palace. Uh, Let me go back. How many years did it take him to build the Lord's temple? How many years did it take him to build his own palace? One could conclude that he spent twice as much time on his own glory. Then he did the glory of God. Psalm 115 and verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, but unto your name be given the glory. And so there's this passage that I want us to hone in on today in the balance of our time. And it's found in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 3. There's one word that I'm going to want you to circle. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. Except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. There's a word that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, Any guesses what that word may be? It's this word, and it seems like a really small word. But it's a dangerous word, though a little word and a dangerous word it's this word. It's the word accept. I want you to see it because I want you to think about it. You see, Solomon never gave God a big no. Would anybody give God, would anybody look at God and clench your fist and say, no God, no. Maybe some of you will. But oftentimes there's a drift. Oftentimes there's a complacency. Oftentimes it's very, very slow and it's very, very subtle and it's unintended. And I think this is what we see. And so the legacy of Solomon, he was obedient and he followed instructions, except. And so I wonder about, you and I wonder about me I wonder what your accept will be if you never walk away from church and throw your fist up at God and say that he doesn't exist or that you won't know part of him if you never give God a defiant rebellious clear no then what might be the subtle accept in your life you see Solomon reserved some things he didn't give over to God what did he well the Bible doesn't tell us exactly it does in one account and that's very clear it's you know women and we'll get there but Solomon it says he offered sacrifices and uh, you say well we don't do that today they're so primitive yes you do you did it yesterday with college football your condos and season tickets and tailgating and all you do offer sacrifices you do I do to our gods uh, other gods but he says he burned incense on the high places now that language we're not accustomed to but what that means in Old Testament terminology is that Solomon was he was manufacturing idols in his life that there were other gods that he was subtly moving towards. So for you, when your life is over, when it is said and done, remember it's not how you start. What matters most is not how you start, it's how you finish. I wonder what the accept will be. Weeks ago, a big story broke, uh, close to here about a man who had a lot of money. He was very successful in business and surveillance cameras show him beating his wife Uh, almost to death and he got on a private plane and he left town and his wife was in bed bloodied and beaten with a lacerated liver and an adult child discovers her well you and I are left to process stories that's uh that's local town gossip for some of us so people throw opinions around and tell what they know and some people even if they don't know facts they talk about it and then people find themselves having conversations well he gave a lot of money he supported his school Uh, He was good to his church. Man, he took his family on trips. It seemed like the kids had everything they ever needed and wanted. Except. But what would your except be? What would it be? What will my accept be? This is sobering for me to think about the legacy, something I've wrestled with this week. I've had an advantage. I've had several days to study this, uh, to be reminded and instructed anew in this story. What could the accept be in my life or yours? Oh, he walked publicly with the Lord. Oh, he went to church. He he went to small group, but he held back except that bitterness that he harbored. Oh, he was on staff at church, and he was active on social media, and publicly he was very positive, good staff person except that private life oh they, they they attended and they they got to know christian friends but every time it got hard every time god was calling them to forbear and to forgive and to reconcile a relationship you moved on you would do the other things except that thing when you knew your heart was growing hard you didn't move to soften it you just kept up the external rituals you did those other things except this and it's the accept that led Solomon to an even more dangerous word, a word called however. In verse, 1 Kings 11.1, 1, many of you know this. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. Verse 4 of the same chapter. As Solomon grew old. How are you going to finish, y'all? His wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father, had been. We're not talking about perfection. I mean, look at David. But we're talking about progression. We're talking about growth. We're talking about maturity. So this wisdom in his life, I don't know, I don't know your story. I'm just telling you this one, and you tell me how it connects. But wisdom led to prosperity, and prosperity led to complacency. He had all these accepts in his life and the servant part of the king, servant king began to dull. And that original wisdom when he said, God, I, you, you told me to ask anything and I asked for wisdom to lead your people, to serve your people, to serve all people, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their gender, no matter what, I want to serve all people, even those who are lost and leased and left out. But the accepts in his life, the areas of his life, that he didn't surrender caught up with him and it became a however. So, how did this happen to Solomon? It's real simple and it can hit us as well. It's a contrast um, between wisdom and desire. Now, let me ask you, I tripped up the first service on this, but uh, think about the word desire. In God's eyes, in the book that he gives us, In the Spirit who counsels us, living and active and present, is the word desire, is it a bad word, is it a good word, is it a neutral word? Desire, is it a good word, bad word, or neutral? You're scared to answer, aren't you? Answer the person next to you. If you know the person next to you, what's your guess? Is desire a good word, a bad word, or is it neutral? God thought up desires. Um, It was God... Who invented and originated the reality inside of you and me of desire? Aren't you glad that you have them? Aren't you glad that God honors them? Look at what the psalmist says. I love this. We need some of this perspective on the character of God. David prays, you open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. God desires us to have desires, God desires to meet our desires, God desires that we find joy in him meeting our desires. So let me say that, but then let me say what the Bible warns us about many, many times over. Paul did it in Ephesians 4, one example among many. He says, you, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by what? By its deceitful desires. So let's talk a little bit about deceitful desires, not desires itself. I think the answer to my question would be neutral. Desires are neutral. They're God-given, they're good, but when they get distorted, they can be very, very bad. You know this, right? Desire. Here's what desire does. Desire narrows your life. But wisdom, wisdom broadens your life. Wisdom gives us, it gives us a, a broader scope of life. Desire says, let me go with my impulses. But wisdom says, let me think about it. Let me weigh the options. Let me consider the connectivity of this decision with that decision. My personhood with the people that I'm committed to. Wisdom calmly looks at life instead of impulse, instead of going after it. It calmly looks at, it sees the connections, and here's the key word, and it sees the consequences of each decision. Oh, I desire, so what is, desire narrows you, and what do you do when you have a strong desire? Let's talk about it. When you have a strong desire, you obsess over something like you want nothing else. You just you get narrowed like I want this picture a kid with a donut. Let's be benign in this illustration. Picture a kid with a donut. The kid's eating the donuts all on its face and there's a, a stack of donuts, a dozen donuts next to the kid. You walk up and uh, you, you're trying to persuade the kid to stop eating the donuts. And you say, man, your body needs vitamins and minerals and protein. And that donut, those donuts are filled with sugar and lard and fat. Stop it. Are you going to persuade them? Are you going to change the outcome of that kid eating the donuts? Not likely. That that probably is not going to work. Because the desire is focused. The impulse is set. I want this. And desire does that. Desire says this. There's a prevailing thought. And that every young person especially is enticed to it. To follow your bliss. Desire says follow your bliss. But wisdom says ask God what's best. And that's a fundamental difference. And guess who? The great wise one Solomon lost sight of this. Because now transfer the kid and the donut to the adult and fill in the blank. Because you see it and I see it and I'm tempted as you are tempted. But I get a front row seat every week into seeing really, really, really smart, educated people with a brain full of knowledge do stupid things with their life. And when desire takes over, so we can learn a part of the legacy from Solomon is don't just say, follow your bliss. In fact, young people look at me. That's a bad philosophy for life. Let God take care of your happiness. We did a whole series on it. Go back and listen. Philippians. We did a whole series. Let God grant you your happiness. You fight for meaning. You follow meaning. And the chief question you need to ask is not follow your bliss. It is, God, what is best? And God wants you to live in the best. And Solomon thought he could buck the system. He thought that he was an exception to the rule. And so as our team comes up and we begin to close, we're going to close our service today coming to the table. And I love um, what we're going to do in this series. I'm practicing in front of you now. But we've talked about Solomon. We've talked about how lesson number one, that it don't matter how messed up your family is, God still desires to use you. We've talked about um, how pure it is to come to God. If you, if you could get anything you want, what would you ask for? And Solomon got that right. But then the very thing that he asked for, wisdom to love and serve other people well, it started becoming about him. It started becoming about not the servant king, but the king. It started becoming, oh, you know, I'll, I'll build God's temple, but let me show you my palace. You know, the Bible tells us the details in very specific specifications of building and construction. Not so that you could go build a palace like Solomon built. So that you could go, wow, Solomon. Wow, Solomon. Look at what he built for himself. Another servant king would come. Later. And that servant king would show up and he would say about himself this servant King Jesus he would say there has now come one who is greater than Solomon greater than Solomon Jesus about Jesus and I bet many of them would laugh they would say an obscure carpenter a penniless rabbi who had nowhere to lay his head is going to come and say that he is greater than Solomon I mean come on this guy was the greatest of all time Solomon didn't finish well Every character we look at, some did. Paul did. 2 Timothy 4 7 and 8. I fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. Some, some finish well, but more don't finish well. And so, as these weeks, as we look at Solomon, as we look at Adam, as we look at Ruth, as we look at James, we're always going to look at Jesus. Because Jesus came, and remember, he talked about worry, and it's one of the things that made me say, I want to follow. I was a teenager, and I read the Sermon on the Mount. I said, I He said don't worry who when they worry can add one hour to their life hey look at the look at the birds there look at the lilies of the, not even solomon remember he talked about being adorned and he pointed back to solomon solomon was a man who didn't finish well but let me tell you jesus did in fact he said it is finished what was finished suffering was finished his glory was just starting. So would you stand today and we're going to pray? We're going to come to the table. Take communion this morning.